We hear it all the time, don't we? Out and about in workplaces, this is what we constantly hear. We hear this all of the time. I love religion, but I sure hate Jesus. Love religion, love his people, but man, I sure hate Jesus. I wish he'd get out of our face. Oh, wait. <laughs> Maybe there's something opposite to that that we hear. You know, as a matter of fact, I, I, uh, I don't think that I've ever heard anyone say that they hate Jesus. But you know, as I was wrestling through this event in Christ's life today, I, sometimes I wonder if that's because either we don't know Jesus or we don't take the things that Jesus says and the demands that he places on our lives seriously enough. Honestly, as we go through this, I think we'll, we'll kind of see what's going on. I haven't, it, it, I haven't imposed Tom Wright upon you for quite some time, so let me do it for you this morning. He puts it this way. People often accuse Christians of advancing their own ideas rather than God's when the people concerned don't really want to hear what God has to say to them. Blaming the church, blaming religion, blaming Christians, blaming the church is a convenient way of ignoring God's costly and demanding call on your life. Now, I'm not going to defend the church this morning. That's not what I'm about, although I'll be happy to do that if you want to. What I want to focus on is this whole thing about, about who exactly is it that Jesus, and what are these demands? Because we haven't, I don't heard about Jesus being hated, but I've sure read about Jesus being hated. And the story is about Jesus being hated to the point of death, isn't it? And we see that right here this morning. In the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see a good number of people who are absolutely under no illusions about who Jesus is claiming to be and what demands he's going to place in their life and the changes, the radical upheaval of their entire worldview that he's going to demand if who he says he is actually is who he is. And so they hated Jesus. They could truly say they loved their religion but they hate Jesus. Love the religion. Hate Jesus. And that's one group of people we're going to meet in today's uh, event. And the second group of people are people who, who just are legitimately, absolutely befuddled, who are confused as to what's going on and how can this be and how does it match up and we've got to sort our way through this and all kinds of questions. And then there's a third group. There's a third group that John kind of hints at, but it's the group that he wants us to belong to and that is the people who are, who are moving towards a belief in Jesus and that Jesus is who he says he is. Because this whole little passage right here, what John's trying to get us to understand is this. Listen, love him or hate him, but he is who he is. He's God's Messiah. And you can love him or you can hate him, but he is just who he is. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, the one sent 
from God. All right, so let's take a look at this. Remember that we're in the Feast of Tabernacles. We're in this whole little thing here about, about how all of these things John is saying are pointing towards Jesus. And we started looking at the Feast of Tabernacles uh, last week. This, this amazing, marvelous, wonderful celebration of God's presence, his provision, and his promises. This uh, citywide tailgate party that we described, you know, of guys juggling fire and all of these different things. And about who the rabbi said, hey, listen, if you haven't seen this celebration, if you haven't seen this festival, if you haven't seen this worship time, then you have not seen joy at all. It's in this context that this is what we read. Let's start John chapter 7, verse 1. So after this, Jesus went around Galilee. This is he left Jerusalem. He did not want to go to Judea, down by Jerusalem, because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish fest of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, hey, listen, you know, every, by the law, every Jewish man, you've got to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's leave to Galilee and go to Judea. Why? So that your disciples there may see that the works that you do. Because when you do this amazing stuff, people come. Remember, he just lost most of his followers because of John chapter 6. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and that whole deal. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus said to them, Look, my time's not yet here. I don't run on human agenda. I'm following the will of the Father. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify that the works that they do are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after this, after he said this, he stayed in Galilee and, and the brothers took up. However, after his brother had left for the festival, after a little while, he went also, not publicly, but secretly. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for the Jesus and they were asking, all right, where is he? We know he's going to come. He's got to come to the festival. Where is he? We're going to catch him. We're going to do things to him that are nasty. And among the crowds, there was a widespread wish about him. Some said, listen, we get these options today, don't we? Listen, he's a good man. He's a good teacher. He's got good things to do. But others said, no, no, no. He deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly. They're kind of whispering this between. Why? Because they were afraid of these leaders. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders that were there. And so not until halfway through the festival, I mean, it was a seven day, but then they added a day. So halfway through the middle of the week, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus get up to the temple courts in the midst of this throng, in the midst of this celebration, and it's then that he began to teach what went on. And the Jews there were amazed, and they said, how does this man get such learning without having been taught? It's obvious he wasn't a student of all the rabbis. He wasn't quoting all these different rabbis and so on. And Jesus said, listen, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. It's the source. That's what's different here. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks to the glory of the one who sent him, he's the man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? 
You are demon-possessed. You're nuts. A demon has got a hold on you, the crowd answered. Who in the world is trying to kill you? What are you talking about? Jesus said to them, look, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it didn't come from Moses, from, from the patriarchs, Abraham, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At one point, the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man that they're trying to kill? And here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. How come he's getting away with this? Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one's going to know where he comes from. Then Jesus, still teaching the temple court, he cried out, there's a loud voice. Now he's going to crank it up a little bit. Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him. But I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him. But no one laid a hand on him because the hour had not yet come. So many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, I mean, is he going to do the miracles that this guy's doing? What's, what's going on? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. These are the leaders. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks? Is he going to go out there and teach the Gentiles? What do you mean when he said, you'll look for me, but you'll not find me, and where I am? You cannot come. Hmm. Quite a passage. All kinds of stuff in there. So let's sort of work our way through it. And you can see in this passage, even the way in which John recorded it, there's lots of confusion and there's lots of opposition about Jesus. And there's several reasons for this. The first reason is Jesus wasn't meeting expectations. That's the first thing that's going on here. And we see this, first of all, in the brothers, right? I mean, the brothers said, look, if you want to make a difference in the world, if you're here to change everything, you're doing all this fancy stuff, obviously you need to be where people are going to be. And there's no place like the temple during tabernacles when you're going to have an opportunity to speak up and be use some of your miracles and rebuild some of your popularity. It's the perfect time. There are going to be thousands of people there. And so it's time for you to go and to grab the limelight to seize the day, to do your stuff, to make a big splash, gain some attention, gain some following. Now you're going for it. That's what we expect. But instead, Jesus does the opposite. He goes up quietly. And he does small stuff for the first half of the festival. He just does the ordinary stuff that Jewish men would do. And it's so much like that now, isn't it? 
But for us, I mean, we just love to see the big splashes that God makes. I mean, I do it, you know, and everyone she does, you know, we hear about healing, you hear about some mass conversion or all these different things, and we just love to hear about those things. And we sort of get to the place where, man, you know, we depend on those things, but so often God is not doing what we expect. He is just there in the small stuff of the daily things of life, of people loving each other, serving each other in ways that other people don't even know about, and God is in the midst of that. Because so often, Jesus doesn't operate in the way that we expect him to operate. He then wasn't going to do it the way his brothers thought he was going to do it. And then we get beyond this family, and there's all kinds of people's expectations about the Messiah that they say, you know, he's not fitting this stuff. Verse 27 is a perfect example. He says, look, how can this guy be the Messiah? We know where he's from. Well, what's that about? Well, you see, in that time of, of Judaic history, a, a story or a myth had, had grown up amongst the Jewish people that, listen, when the Messiah comes, he's gonna, it's going to be like he comes out of nowhere. He's just going to sort of appear. Now, they didn't mean by that he was going to, you know, boom. It wasn't before, and now here he is. What they meant was that he's going to be this mystery guy, that no one knows where he's coming from. It's going to be just so obvious that it's God that sent him. He's just going to come, and he's going to rise up, and he's going to bring about the overthrow of those who are oppressing us, and things are going to be wonderful. So it was a myth that they had, and they're saying, this, this Jesus guy, we know where he's from. We just talked to his brother. We know his mom and dad. This is where he's from. We know where he's from. It doesn't meet our expectations. And he's not going to meet my expectations. Then how can I follow him? How can I believe that he is the one? It's so true, isn't it? How often does Jesus fail to meet our expectations? How often, in fact, does God do the opposite to what my expectations are, just to kind of grow me up a little bit. I mean, think about it. I mean, the natural way of thinking is, listen, man, you know, when God blesses me, then I'm going to love him quite a bit, then I'm going to grow up, then I'm going to see that he's really got me through the situation, he blessed me in this way, he gave me this, he gave me that, he healed me here, he healed me there, and so, man, you know, that, if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to love Jesus more, then that's, you know, lay on, you know, raindrops of mercy are falling but for the showers I plead are you going to go to the old town whatever it is and God said no 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 Marge and I were talking about this week and Marge came up with the bad news that listen for most of us in our life when we grow closer to Jesus it's when we go through hardship when we get to the end of our place and we got to decide is God good or is God not good Am I going to follow Jesus or I'm not going to follow Jesus? And it's through those pressure times of our life that, that God allows or brings into our life that, that so often we become great. Hey, you know what? If I come to Jesus, my marriage, it's going to be better. Well, yeah, it will be as long as you understand it's going to be way harder because you, Alan boy, are going to lay down your life for your wife. You're going to put her desires, her wishes, her dreams, herself, her everything in front of yourself. And Sheena, you're going to do the same thing. So yeah, your marriage will be better with Jesus, but it ain't going to be easy, boy. Well, I thought you could just kind of zap me. I need quite a bit of zapping. Just ask Sheena. No. You're going to face pressure and difficulty and conversations. And through that, I'm going to weld you together. God, I'm having a really hard time at work. If you, just, if you would just give me justice. 
if you adjust, if you just get these people off my back, if you just take them out of my life, then, then I'd know that you're there. I'll be so thankful for you. I'll be so wonderful. And God says, yeah, well, maybe someday I will. But for right now, you're going to love your enemies. For right now, you're going to forgive the person at work who's hurting you. For right now, you're going to bless those that curse you. You might want and you might expect it's going to be this easy road, but no, I'm going to use these situations, these hardships, and mold you and shape you into a loving, forgiving, gracious person. And it's not what we want and it's not what we expect. But so often, that's exactly what Jesus does. And so some of them had these expectations of what the Messiah was going to be like and what he would look like and how God was going to act. And and we all have them. The question is, when those things aren't being met, how do I respond to that? Other people, they they were kind of denying Jesus and maybe they weren't hating Jesus so much but they they weren't going to pursue him very hard for fear of the influences you see what it said there in verse 13 that they had these questions they had these wonderings they were trying to figure things out but but they were afraid to say much because they were afraid of the leaders they were afraid of the socially powerful and what they could do to them and so they just sort of kept it up under wraps didn't pursue it too hard just sort of ah you know let's leave that alone because who knows how people are going to respond to that man and we all know i mean it's obvious that increasingly in the world, we who are believers in Jesus are seen as at best naive, in the medium unintelligent, and at the worst haters and bigoted. And it's just increasingly becoming like that. And it's so easy for us to just say, you know what, we're just going to back off some of the things that the Bible says because, you know, how are people going to view it? What's going to happen to me? How are people going to treat me? But I'll tell you what's worse than that. What's worse than that is when we in the church don't come forward with our honest questions or our honest differences of opinion because we're afraid of what the powerful in the church are going to say to us. And so we have these questions and we have these wrestlings and we wonder about this and we wonder about that and how does that Bible mean that and how can we do this and how do we do this? I mean, we have these questions but we're kind of scared to say because, you know, man, I, I don't want anybody to think this about me or that about me and what will the elders think and what will Jones think and how will that be? And, and so instead of wrestling through those things, we just sort of cram them down in our hearts and we keep them silent and we drift away and don't talk about them. And it's a terrible thing if we ever get to the place, God help us, God help us, if we ever get to the place around here where we're afraid to ask legitimate questions that we have because we're afraid of what the powerful are going to think and say. The whole point of the church, the whole reason we get together and not live you know, on ourselves, by ourselves, in our bedroom, on our knees with our Bible, the whole reason we come together is to say, Jones, I don't agree with you there. I think you're wrong there. How, what, how, how, what about this? Or, well, hey guys, I, I don't understand how this works. And was that a cultural thing? Is that a real thing? God help us if we can't wrestle through those questions and we do it by ourselves because it was never intended by God to be that way. That's why we have the body 
is so that we can disagree with each other, so that we can grow, so that we can get rid of these expectations and these things that we have, these false ideas, and come through to the truth. So these people were afraid of influences, and so they didn't pursue Jesus and get to know him as he should know him. And then there's, there's this whole, oh, God help me. Then there's this whole thing about not coming, not coming to Jesus because they want, don't want to know God's will. Verses 15 through 24. Man, oh, this portion drove me nuts. I don't know if it's because I'm stupid or because it's the middle of August or because I want to be willfully blind because I don't like what it really says. But man, did I, I read so many commentaries and I lectured, listened to lectures two or three times over trying to figure out what in the Sam are you talking about, Jesus? Because it's just this kind of a, I just really had a hard time figuring out. I mean, you got God's teaching, you got Jesus' identity, you got Sabbath, you got circumcision, you got Moses, you got. I mean, the whole kitchen sink's thrown in there, and we're supposed to try and figure this out. But maybe I have it, (laughs) I think. So let's try and work this through because it's important, okay? And I'll try and go a bit slower than I normally do to try and be a bit more clear. Because you know the old saying, you ever heard the saying, a mist in the, pul- in the pulpit is the fog in the pew? Have you ever heard that saying? It means if I'm not, you know, really clear, I'm just kind of fuzzy in my own brain. For you guys, it's like, I'm going home. Okay, so let me, let me just see if we can work through this. Okay, here we go. This whole little section here. I'd read it again, but it's, it's, it's long, so I won't. Rick Watts, he, he put it this way, okay? So let me, I think what happened is that Jesus gives a teaching and then he gives an illustration having to do with circumcision and Sabbath, okay? So I think that's what's going on in these verses. Verse 17 is kind of the key verse on the teaching, okay? All right, so Rick Watts says it this way. What Jesus is saying is this. Anyone who wants to know God's will will recognize my authority okay you see that's what he's saying there what this whole thing is you're wondering who i am you're wondering where i'm coming from listen if you want to know god's will if you really really want to know god's will then you start following it you'll know that i am his messiah okay it's going to be an experiential kind of a deal okay and so that's the whole thing so that's rick watts's deal so here's the thing here's the thing what we have to do before we decide this step about who Jesus is. Is he the Messiah who is in my life, expectations, all those Before we get that question of who Jesus, there's a prior question that I have to ask myself. Okay? And the prior question is this. The prior question is, am I committed to doing God's will even if it radically opposes my will, my thoughts, my desires, and my preferences. Okay, you see this? Question is, Jesus says, listen, anyone who wants to know God's will, you'll understand, you'll see that I'm the Messiah. But what we've got to figure out before we do that then is, okay, hang on, Alan. You've got all kinds of preferences, you've got all kinds of ideas, you've got all kinds of preconceived ideas, or you've got all these kind of things. Are you willing to lay them all aside for the sake of God's will? If you're taught and you see by God through his word, the Holy Spirit and all these things, that your preconceived ideas, your preferences, your likes are wrong. Are you willing to change? 
That, that's the prior question. Am I so committed to being in God's will that I'll allow him by his spirit to change anything? Because you see, if I'm not committed to that, if I don't make that prior decision, it's the question of lordship, right? We all talk about Jesus is our Lord. <laughs> yeah, until it comes down to the nitty-gritty of real life and my life and the people I love and what the choices we have and those things. And Well, you know, what happens is if we're not committed to that, when we get to something that, that we don't like, that goes against what we previously think, we're kind of like these Jewish leaders. Well, you know what? Uh, God wouldn't say that. God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't expect that. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus would do that. If I'm not, if I'm not committed to saying, you know what, no matter what it's going to happen, I will come around any possible way I can to get out of what Jesus is saying the demand of my life is unless I have this prior committed to doing it. As a matter of fact, what Jesus says won't even make any sense to me. If I don't, it's, it's a radical thought. It's kind of backwards to the way they know things. If I don't decide way back here, hey, no matter what, what God's will is, what God's teaches is, I'm going to do that no matter what the cost. If I don't decide that back here, when I come up to some of Jesus' teaching, it isn't going to make any sense to me. It's going to be just like crazy talk or it's hyperbole. Or, uh, yeah, I'll turn my cheek once. I'll give my shirt and not my coat. I'm going to come up with all kinds of excuses. But if I'm committed to doing what God says no matter what, and I live it out, even the times when I don't really understand it and I certainly don't like it, then Jesus says eventually, sooner or later, as you live in that, this truth will become clear to you. When I put God at the center of my life, I begin to recognize his ways and his teachings. As D.A. Carson says, God fills my horizons. Now, if you want kind of the nerdy approach to that, you can read that big long quote I've got in that outline. You can take that home and work your way through it. That's kind of the more academic way of saying, saying that. So that's what Jesus says. Okay, you want to know God's will? Commit to God's will. Then you're going to know it's my teaching. Then you're going to live it out. Then he gives this illustration. He says, look, you've got this preconceived ideas that you're committed to. That your position on this thing is stopping you seeing who I really am. You've got an idea of how the law works. You've got an idea of who God is and it's stopping you from actually obeying the law. In fact, you're committed, so committed to your own way. You're so committed to your own traditions. You're so committed to your own understandings with the refusal to even consider the possibility of something else that you are going to kill me. You are going to walk away from me. And they say, what are you talking about? You are crazy. And he says, all right, let me give you a for instance. A number of months ago, I healed a man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. Do uh, where are you? Dave talked on this. The healing. But I did that on the Sabbath. And because I did that on the Sabbath, which you said was work, you said I cannot possibly be from God because God would not work on the Sabbath Therefore, I must be a false prophet. And what the law tells us to do about false prophets is to stone them to death. That's how your unwillingness to yield to God's will because you are so committed to your steady position on the Sabbath. But 
But we got some hypocrisy going on here. He says, because the law also says, hey, you have a little baby boy. On the eighth day, you're going to circumcise him. Circumcising a little boy is work. However, that's done. But if that eighth day happens on the Sabbath, you go ahead and circumcise it. You go ahead and you do that work on the Sabbath, even though it's work. Why do you do that? Because you are giving that little boy the ultimate healing. You are bringing him into a covenant relationship with Yahweh and with his people. You are bringing this healing by affecting this one part of his body. You're bringing him in to health, into community with God. And when I healed a man's whole body, not just a little bit of it, bringing him into a more full, healthy relationship with God. For that, you want to kill me. So either you're a hypocrite or you have to admit that what I did on the Sabbath was the work of God, allowing somebody to come into full covenant. You guys need to open your eyes and start seeing rightly. Jesus doesn't back down at all. Your reluctance to do God's will blinds you to the truth about Jesus and everything that's significant. And so often, you know, I think that this is part of my willful blindness. I just wonder how willing I am to change my positions on things for the sake of God's will. When I don't like it, I don't want it, I don't think it, I've never lived that way. How often do I blind myself to the teachings and demands of Jesus? Because I'm so firmly entrenched in what I want, think, prefer, or believe. You know, a bunch of years ago, there's a guy, a friend of mine used to attend church here, Ernie Kubitz, and a mutual friend of ours decided, I'm done. Tossing the faith, walking away, don't want it, I quit. And so I was telling Ernie this. I said, ah, oh, you know, this guy's walking away, tossed it. And then he said, oh, what does he want to do? I said, what do you mean, what does he want to do? And then he said, you know, of all of the friends that I've had that have walked away from Jesus, it's in the end because they wanted to do something that Jesus didn't want them to do. It's not always true. It's not always true. But it's amazing how often it is true that there's some teaching of Jesus that we don't like, we don't want, I don't see how it makes sense, whatever, so I'm tossing it. Because I don't like that. How often am I tempted to walk away from the demands and teaching of Jesus? Because really, really, the cost is too high for me to follow his will. Well, then there's a second group that are in here. And these are the people who 
probably like you after I've just done saying all that stuff, are just genuinely confused. They just said, like, what? He's got all these questions. Listen to his teachings, look at his works. How can he be? But the teachers that really know what's going on are leaders. They don't believe in him. They think he's a false prophet. And yet, even though they say he's a false prophet, they're letting him teach in the temple here. They're not seizing him. What's going on? I thought we thought they wanted him dead, but he's still alive. Could he be the Messiah? Could he not be the Messiah? Uh, what does he mean? He's going to go where we can't go. We're going to look for him. We can't find him. Man, we, we just have a genuine confusion as to who he is. And what these people needed is they need the rest of the Gospel of John. They need to finish off with the signs and they need to see this great sign of the reason of Lazarus and ultimately they need to see the ultimate sign we'll get to, the resurrection of Jesus. But John wants us to be in the third group. What about us? He, John wants us to respond to the question that he's putting in front of us. Remember the whole thing in the Gospel of John, it's this great big court case. Witness after witness after witness after witness, all these signs of witnesses. This is who Jesus came to be. This is who Jesus came to be. And he's putting this in front of us. Okay, so what do you think about this? Do you believe that Jesus is God's Messiah? And some people believed it. They didn't understand it all yet. They had to see the fulfillment of it. But they were moving along the journey of belief. Believing that Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the one that God Almighty has sent to deliver anybody who put their trust and their faith in me. I'm the one. I am the Messiah. Love me or hate me. This is who I am. I'm the Messiah. I am Lord, God, Almighty, King of the universe, and friend of sinners. So for me, as I went through this whole deal, wrestled it through, <laughs> it was a tough one for me, it, it just seems to me that there was like four things floating around in my brain. And the first one was, Alan, when Jesus doesn't meet your expectations, and that happens often, you need to recalibrate. Yeah, you admit disappointment, you can admit frustration, I can admit, you know, whatever, I thought it was going to be this way. But I just need to recalibrate. Because he's God, not me. And there's going to be all kinds of expectations that I throw upon God. And I, they may even seem like, oh, they're in the Bible. You know, this makes, makes sense. But it, when he doesn't meet those expectations, I've got to recalibrate my expectations and not toss him off as Lord of my life. So how ready am I to recalibrate? How much do I fear influences that are holding me back because of who somebody who has some kind of social power or political power or who knows whatever kind of power, relational power. How much am I afraid? How much am I afraid in the church to say, man, you know, I've, I've kind of thought it was this way all my life, but I am wrestling with this. I might have to change my view on this. And that's going to have implications relationally and all those things. 
How ready am I to, to wrestle through these things in spite of what influencers might have to say about that? And the big one of all, as I said, is, Alan, truly, am I truly willing to submit? Do I want to submit to God's will, even when it goes against everything that I think, everything that I wish, the relationships that I have, people that I adore? And I'm going to have to say no, or I'm going to have to say yes, whichever way that it goes. I mean, I am, I am theologically conservative. Well, relatively speaking, it depends on how you... <laughs> so how ready am I willing to give up some of those positions, even though it's going to cost me? Or how, many, how willing am I ready to stand on those convictions, even though it's going to cost me? Am I truly, truly, really, don't, truly, really, are you ready to give up anything for the sake of God's will and what he teaches, no matter what the cost is? Ah, yeah, as long as I'm just singing the song, not having to deal with it in real life. And one of the places in my life, man, I'm just confused about what Jesus is talking about here. I, I don't understand this. I don't understand why. I don't, why did God do it this way? Why does God say this? I don't know. I'm just kind of confused and I need to keep going along in this journey and, and to live in those questions. And to say, you know what? I, what I do know is I'm committed to God. I'm committed to his will. I'm committed that his, the word of God is the revealed word of God. I'm committed to Jesus being the son of God who's the Messiah. I'm committed to believing that Jesus uh, sent his Holy Spirit within me. And I'm just going to keep growing. Because hopefully there's all kinds of questions that we have in our spiritual life. Otherwise it means we're not growing anymore. And the Holy Spirit's trying to pull you along into deeper waters with more questions. The other thing about us, and this is a bit of a conviction, is how ready am I to cry out about the Messiah? I mean, Jesus is going through, and at first, yeah, he's kind of quiet, he does his thing, but then when the time was right, it says he cried out. The word means it was, it was like a big noise. Here he is. Imagine this. He's here. There's hundreds. There's maybe thousands of people around them. He gets up in the temple and he cries out, Hey, yes, I know you think you know me. I know you think you know where I'm from. Listen to me. And all the crowd goes silent and looks at him. And the things he said, he gets so worked up they want to seize him. How ready am I to cry out? As opposed to mumble and shuffle along. I remember one time I was at a, a wedding. And uh, it, was, it was a wedding where there was a mixture of Christians and non-Christians there. A fellow that wasn't a believer was up there doing a, a thing. And he wasn't being mean. He honestly wasn't being mean. But he, he was kind of puzzling through something to do with this whole Christianity thing. And he says this. Hey! He says, I know there's a bunch of you people that are, that are Christians, right? You call yourself Christian. How many of you guys are there? It was, and so, you know, we're supposed to put our hand up in the air. Which, don't worry, I did. <laughs> but it was a weird feeling. It was a weird feeling. Yeah. 
I am. Maybe I'm the only one around here. How ready, really? How ready am I to cry out in a milieu where I know it's going to bring opposition, maybe even hatred? And yet, we are called to be like Jesus and to cry out to a world that doesn't know that love him or hate him. He is who he is. He's God's Messiah. Almighty God, uh, I found this passage um, troubling, hard to understand a bit for me, but then even worse, raising questions in my heart and in my life, um, which are tough, and I, I got it easy. I'm a preacher. I lived 98% of my life in the church where it's raw, raw Jesus. But we still come to hard, hard questions. Things happen in life. People make decisions in life, relationships, all these things, and we find ourselves in conflict even within our own hearts with some of the things we understand you to say. And we need to wrestle through a lot of this stuff. And we need to have the courage to, to wrestle it through. And we need to be, we want to be a, a church, a fellowship, brothers and sisters, where, where serious, deep questions are, are, are looked at and we can, we can talk about it and not be afraid. And be willing to change according to your will. And we need to be a people who, when the time is right, will cry out even when we know it's going to be a high cost. So for me, Holy Spirit, um, there is lots of work to be done in my life this, this week on this stuff, and still is. And so I pray, Father, for us. I pray that you would do your good work in us. That we would be true and good disciples of Jesus the Messiah, in whose name we pray. Amen.